Good morning. It's our pleasure to welcome you to the Laurel Heights Church of Christ. We are glad that you are here. We believe you've made a good choice to be with us this morning. Some of you may not have been here earlier this morning during our Bible class time. We had a fire drill, part of our overall safety plan, particularly for our children in the classes, and that all went well, and we are thankful to all who were participants in that process. This is not a sermon drill. This is the real thing. This year, in sermons once or twice a month, I'm preaching through 1 Corinthians. And today, this sermon is based on 1 Corinthians chapter 4. 1 Corinthians chapter 4. Paul wrote to this local church in Corinth. And from the first three chapters we have studied together already this year, we have a good picture of what was happening there that needed attention. In that local church, there were squabbles and jealousy and competition with more focus on men than Christ. And it was so bad, Paul had to address their division with stinging indictments, bold and corrective remedial instruction. Now, one basic problem was their view of men, preachers and teachers and the apostles. In chapter 4, Paul wants them to understand how they should regard men like Paul and Apollos and other faithful teachers. Let's listen carefully. 1 Corinthians chapter 4. This is how one should regard us as servants of Christ and stewards of the mysteries of God. Moreover, it is required of stewards that they be found faithful. But with me, it is a very small thing that I should be judged by you or by any human court. In fact, I do not even judge myself. For I am not aware of anything against myself, but I am not thereby acquitted. It is the Lord who judges me. Therefore, do not pronounce judgment before the time, before the Lord comes, who will bring to light the things now hidden in darkness and will disclose the purposes of the heart. Then each one will receive his commendation from God. I have applied all these things to myself and Apollos for your benefit, brothers, that you may learn by us not to go beyond what is written, that none of you may be puffed up in favor of one against another. For who sees anything different in you? What do you have that you did not receive? If then you received it, why do you boast as if you did not receive it? Already you have all you want. Already you have become rich. Without us you have become kings. And would that you did reign so that we might share the rule with you. For I think that God has exhibited us apostles 
as last of all. Like men sentenced to death, because we have become a spectacle to the world, to angels and to men, we are fools for Christ's sake, but you are wise. We are weak, but you are strong. You are held in honor, but we in disrepute. To the present hour we hunger and thirst, we are poorly dressed and buffeted and homeless, and we labor working with our hands. When reviled, we bless. When persecuted, we endure. When slandered, we entreat. We have become and are still like the scum of the world, the refuse of all things. I do not write these things to make you ashamed, but to admonish you as my beloved children. For though you have countless guides in Christ, you do not have many fathers. For I became your father in Christ Jesus through the gospel. I urge you then, be imitators of me. This is why I sent you Timothy, my beloved and faithful child in the Lord, to remind you of my ways in Christ, as I teach them everywhere, in every church. Some are arrogant as though I were not coming to you, but I will come to you soon if the Lord wills, and I will find out not the talk of these arrogant people, but their power. For the kingdom of God does not consist in talk, but in power. What do you wish? Shall I come to you with a rod or with love in a spirit of gentleness? Many people at some time in life begin to form an image of how they hope to be regarded someday. I remember conversations in high school with buddies or in college with other students or when I was in the army with fellow soldiers. And in our youth, in our late teens and early 20s, we formed these very attractive images of how we hoped someday to be viewed. Leaders and applauded by our peers and regarded as successful and wealthy it was a time to dream, wasn't it? Perhaps to set goals, but not always realistic. And sometimes our dreaming was rather self-centered. We wanted to win respect, be looked up to, have people working under us, admired, competitive, and wealthy, and well-known. It is very typical or common. These are the dreams and ambitions of many young men and women before fuller maturity and reality sets in. Here's our entry point into 1 Corinthians 4. Isn't it clear Paul and his co-workers had no such dream or vision at all? From the time Paul was commissioned to be an apostle, there is never any indication that he perceived a pathway to great celebrity status, high above others. He had no intention to struggle to be better than somebody. 
to be celebrated, to be highly praised, to have his own little following or big following. There was certainly no huge monetary benefit that he coveted as he did his work as an apostle. Worldly success just wasn't any part of the motivation of men like Paul and Apollos who preached the word of God. Chapter 4 is about how Paul wanted the Corinthians to regard him and his co-workers. And that's very clear right up front in the opening statement. He says, this is how, he says, this is how one should regard us. The Corinthians in their thinking were way off base with respect to their view of men, party leaders and preachers and teachers. They would campaign for one against the other. Paul is anxious to disabuse the Corinthians of their carnal view of the apostles and other teachers of the gospel. And he uses terminology to help them have the proper view of men. He speaks, for instance, of servants of Christ and stewards of the mysteries of God. Servants of Christ. It may have been tempting for people in Corinth to think of Paul and Apollos and other teachers as higher in rank. Leaders or chiefs are privileged. Men to be favored and followed. Paul says, no. We are servants of Christ just like you. What a statement that does two things immediately. One, it conveys unity. We are servants just like you. Two, it destroys any desire to compete or side with one group behind one man against another group behind another man. Paul says, we, we must think of ourselves and you must think of us as servants. And then he says, stewards of the mysteries of God. Mark this down. A steward is not an owner or an originator. A steward is not an owner or an originator. When you talk about Paul, Silas, Barnabas, Peter, Apollos, and Timothy, no one, not one of them could be called an originator or an owner of the message they delivered. A steward is under charge to deliver what has been created by another and made available, and these men can be viewed as messenger boys. They're messenger boys. They receive a message from God that they didn't conceive, that they cannot revise or tamper with, and they are to deliver that message faithfully. Paul says that's how you need to think of us. When, when postal workers deliver a check to you, you never regard them as the writer of the check. You never applaud their generosity. They're doing their job. They're delivering what someone else originated and sent. Paul says, we are messenger boys. We are servants just like you. We are stewards of the mysteries of God. Have you noticed the common tendency of people to compare preachers? 
and express that they prefer one man's style or personality over another and then get all caught up in those comparisons that eventually sometimes will lead to competition and wrong attitudes. When I was growing up in Arkansas, I remember a word that was coined to describe this kind of thing, and the word was preacher-itis. Like an illness, but it was chosen. A preacher would come in and folks would campaign to get him back. He's great. And they would celebrate him. And in some cases, they would virtually worship the man and follow the man and put him in much higher esteem than perhaps he even desired. And then a different preacher would come along and he would be compared to this man and everybody who came along Everybody who came into the pulpit would be compared to this man. Comparison would then lead to competition and ill-conceived, destructive attitudes. Because somebody wouldn't measure up. They wouldn't be as good as brother so-and-so. Not as handsome. Not as much personality. Not as outgoing. If we miss a lot of what Paul is saying to the Corinthians, this we cannot miss. This worldly, competitive, comparative emphasis on men and personalities, it is destructive. It is bound to lead people to failure and division. (coughs) And when men (coughs) are exalted above simple servant messenger status, people start trusting those men too much. Believing everything they say and following them... Paul says, here is how you need to think of us. That's the message in 1 Corinthians 4. Here's how you need to think of us. We are servants of Christ just like you. And what we deliver is a message that we did not originate and do not own. We are stewards of the mysteries of God. Psalm 116, verse 16. O Lord, I am your servant. Yes, I am your servant, born into your household, you have freed me from my chains. That's true of everybody who's been baptized. Then he says, it's a very small thing that I should be judged by you. And Paul talks about the fact that that he doesn't even judge himself. Because there's someone who holds ultimate judgment authority. It's not me judging myself. It's not you judging me or me judging you. Paul says in 1 Corinthians chapter 4, it is the Lord who judges me. And then he says about their attitudes and how far they were going in their comparison of men. He says simply, stop it. You're going beyond what is written. Your focus is seriously misdirected. It's not about me or Apollos or Cephas or Timothy. It's about Jesus Christ and how we respond to Him. And that will all be evident when the Lord comes again. He holds ultimate judgment authority. It says here, don't go beyond what is written. Paul, guided by the Holy Spirit, wrote to them, 
about how they should view teachers and what their attitudes ought to be about men. He said, don't go beyond this. Paul was guided by the Holy Spirit to write the remedial instruction they needed to accept and not go beyond. And then Paul gets them and gets us to think with this leading question in verse 7. What do you have that you did not receive? Let that sink in. What do you have that you did not receive? Christians are not people who have earned status or who should get all excited about some preacher or teacher they think is so much greater than the others who are delivering the same message. We are all receivers. Receivers of forgiveness by the death of Christ. Receivers of faith, hope, and love from the Word. Eventually, the faithful are receivers of heaven's glory. What is all this boasting about men? Thinking men are so great and following them. Paul and his co-workers are servants, stewards of the manifold grace of God. Stop all this comparison with men. And following men, don't go beyond what is written. And then Paul says to the Corinthian church, you want to know what our status is? You think we're so great? You think that we deserve a following? You want to really know what our status is? We are fools for Christ's sake, but you are wise in Christ? We are weak, but you are strong. To the present hour, we hunger and thirst. We are poorly dressed and buffeted and homeless, and we labor working with our hands. When reviled, we bless. When persecuted, we endure. When slandered, we entreat. We have become and are still like the scum of the world. Paul and his fellow servants lived in a manner in keeping with their servant status. They were willing to suffer from God through their obedience to Christ. Paul and these men learn discipline and endurance and humble attitudes and divine ethics. They were servants, not just in name, but in real life reality. They were servants. The Corinthians had lost their good focus. And that's why Paul wrote to admonish and urge healthier thinking and to reject arrogance and to be servants of Christ. What do I need to take from chapter 4? What do I need to take from 1 Corinthians chapter 4? We are all servants of Christ. Ladies and gentlemen, there is no other group of people like God's people the church. I'm not talking now of a building or a group of buildings and not just to people who share beliefs, not a denomination or group of local churches. I'm talking about the whole body of Christ, God's people. There's nothing like it because there is no rank, there's no hierarchy, there's no institutional structure, there's no competition. We're all servants. Elders, deacons, preachers, teachers, men, women, old people, young people, black, white, no matter one's 
nationality, ethnic background, language, physical appearance, we are all servants. We serve God and serve our families, serve each other and serve the lost. We are all servants. When we lose that concept, we lose a lot. That single simple concept, reviewed and maintained and stressed in the pulpit, can keep us from the ugly, fractured condition of the church at Corinth. The writer A.W. Tozier said, in his language of prayer to God, I am thy servant to do thy will. And that will is sweeter to me than position, or riches, or fame, and I choose it above all things on earth or in heaven. That's what all of us ought to be. That's the way all of us ought to think. 1 Corinthians chapter 4. What do we take from this? Carefully guard your attitude about men who are servants of Christ just like you. I haven't told you in a while, but please never call me reverend. Don't use the word pastor in the modern sense of a leader or a church boss. Understand that preachers have personalities and styles and methods that are not identical. Preachers are not clones. Do not evaluate them about things that do not matter. Preachers are given one message. Open your Bible and listen to what they have to say. And if what they're saying is correct, read it yourself, study it yourself, and do it yourself. And do not get entangled in this childish business of comparing one man to another. And comparisons inevitably lead to competition and envy and strife. We're all servants. Do not go beyond what is written. If you feel good about what you do, just remember that how you feel about yourself is not the final verdict. Such an important point is made by Paul in verse 4. For I am not aware of anything against myself, but I am not thereby acquitted. It is the Lord who judges me. I may evaluate my life and conclude, man, I'm doing pretty good. I'm, I'm just doing everything right. I'm not guilty of any sin, haven't been arrested. I'm not 10 minutes away from an, a warrant. I treat people right. I worship God in spirit and truth. I sing with the understanding. I speak the truth in love. I have perfect attendance record. Wow, I know nothing against myself. Paul says, wait, it is the Lord who judges. See, I don't get to stand before God and say, Lord, I did pretty good, don't you think? You, you see that record? You see all that stuff I did? Now, don't look at everything, but look at all the great stuff I did. Lord, uh, you, you are going to let me in, right? Paul says, it is the Lord 
who judges. If you feel good about what you do, keep doing what's good and right if it's from Scripture. But remember, your judgment of yourself is not the final verdict. The kingdom of God does not consist in talk, but in power. The kingdom of God is about God's rule in the hearts of people who've given themselves to obey Christ. It is not about fancy speeches and boasting and claims about men and competition of human merit and entertainment and being waited on and celebrated and promoted and recognized. Forget all that. We must resolve we will not be distracted or tempted to turn everything into some human, selfish center. The kingdom of God is about God's rule in the hearts of people who have given themselves to obey Christ. Now let's pack all this in together. The apostles of Christ and the inspired evangelist who worked with them were men of humility who did not seek status, had no interest in gaining followers, being celebrated, upheld, or competing with each other. When that spirit shows up among brethren, it needs to be confronted head on. We can tolerate differences in judgment in matters of liberty. We can work with people patiently who want to know what is right. They're growing. We can reach out to guilty sinners with the gospel and show them our love and God's love. We cannot tolerate pride and arrogance and wise guys and status-seeking and strife. Paul says, let no one boast in men. Paul says, we are servants of Christ. Paul says, what do you have that you did not receive? And Paul says, the kingdom of God does not consist in talk, but in power. Men in Corinth had wheeled into the church the Trojan horse of celebrating and following men instead of devotion to Jesus Christ. It was killing the church, Paul res responding with remedial instruction from God. The kingdom of God is about God's rule in the hearts of people who have given themselves over to obey Christ. Have you done that? If you've heard the gospel taught from the New Testament, you know the one you must believe in, confessing your faith that He is the Son of God, and you're familiar with the commands of Peter to repent and be baptized. That will put you into the kingdom, the church, where God rules in the hearts of the followers of Jesus Christ. If we can help you render that obedience, please come as we stand together to sing.